You're listening to Community Radio, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m., and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. I'm Claudio Mendonça. California spent $600 million to house and rehabilitate former prisoners, part of a program called STOP, S-T-O-P, but can't say how effective the program has been. The California report has the details. After headlines and weather, Felton Pruitt talks with Nevada City Parks and Recreation Manager Don Zidonis about how you can stay cool safely. Al Stoller closes out our newscast with a conversation with Dr. Armin Aladini, Professor of Medicine at Columbia University. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. We recently reported that dozens of state employees called on lawmakers to address a crisis of job vacancies hurting the agency that investigates wage theft. KQED's labor correspondent Farida Chabala Romero now reports on one key lawmaker's reaction. A letter by nearly 80 staffers at the Labor Commissioner's office says about one in three positions are vacant, in large part because salaries are low and the hiring process unreasonably slow. They're concerned an audit already in the works will miss these key points. San Diego Assemblyman David Alvarez chairs the Joint Legislative Audit Committee. He told KQED he'll personally make sure the audit gets to these issues that staffers say mean too many Californians who claim they were shorted on their paychecks have to wait years to get a decision. That is not acceptable, and that's why we approve the audit unanimously because everybody is concerned that workers are not getting their due pay. A spokeswoman for the California Department of Human Resources says they're trying to get rid of barriers to hiring and retention. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero. A growing portion of Los Angeles County's unhoused population is single women, and many say they've suffered from high levels of violence, both before and after becoming homeless. That's just one finding from the county's first study of single homeless women conducted by the nonprofit Urban Institute. And when we spoke with women, what they described was things like having items stolen from them in shelter or witnessing people being physically attacked in shelter or being physically attacked in shelter themselves. That's Samantha Batko, co-author of the report. She says many women choose to live outside because of these safety concerns in shelters. And that makes it more difficult for them to access services and housing. The Urban Institute came up with a list of recommendations to improve the outcomes for women experiencing homelessness. It includes tailoring services for them and prioritizing safety in the county's homelessness response system. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water with no sugar or diet sweeteners with more than 25 flavors, including watermelon and pineapple. In stores or delivered from HintWater.com. Stanford Medicine, comprising its School of Medicine and Adult and Children's Health Systems, working together to advance knowledge and improve lives. StanfordMedicine.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food, on the web at theschmidt.org.
California is dumping at least $100 million a year into its flagship rehabilitation program for former prisoners. Specialized treatment for optimized programming, also known as STOP, provides housing and other support for parolees. But a new investigation from CalMatters has found the state has no idea if the program actually works. CalMatters investigative reporter Baronda Lyons has the story. You have a prepaid call from... An inmate at the Sentinella State Prison. Hi, Jack. Hi, good morning. Jack Loney wound up in prison just two months after he completed a STOP program in Northern California. He said he didn't have any big complaints about STOP, but once it was over... It was, okay, your time is up tomorrow. Thanks for coming, and, you know, I mean, you did good, and we'll send you your uh, letter of completion, and that was that. Loney was hopeful for a second chance on the outside after serving 23 years in prison for second-degree murder. But he says he had nowhere to go after stop but back home to L.A., where he fell into his old habits and reoffended. How common is Loney's experience? We don't know. Neither does the state. They don't have data on anything. Mike Romano founded the Three Strikes Project at Stanford Law School. If you were to go to ask them on how effective are gang rehabilitation programs in prison, no data. How effective are gang intervention programs in prison, no data. There's no data. There's very little data on anything CDCR does. California's Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation doesn't keep data on recidivism rates of STOP participants. It took the agency three tries just to narrow down how many people were enrolled in the program in 2020 and 2021. The department also didn't know how many people found jobs after the program. And when I visited some of the addresses the state told me were STOP facilities. Hello? gate is locked. That house in Los Angeles had a padlock gate and a boarded up window. Reggie Jones Sawyer is the lawmaker in charge of public safety in the state assembly. He's been a proponent of rehab programs for parolees, but he doesn't understand why it's so hard for the state to track stop participants. It's not that difficult to track. If you're successful, um, and that individual is released out to society, um, I, would, I would believe that they have a nine-to-five job. If you have a nine-to-five job, guess what you do? You file state taxes with the state franchise board. For one, he says, if parolees are working, tax records are one way to narrow down who has a job. A hundred million dollars? I'm sure every taxpayer in California wants to make sure we spent that money correctly. And remember, that's $100 million a year. The state has spent more than $600 million total since the program launched. After CalMatters started asking questions about STOP and its tracking policies, CDCR officials said the agency will now track recidivism, job placement, and make sure reentry homes are reviewed annually. For the California Report, I'm Baronda Lyons in Richmond. And finally, the city of Santa Clara will now be known as Swifty Clara. Well, temporarily. This week, the council passed a proclamation renaming the city from July 28th to the 29th as Taylor Swift brings the Eras Tour to Levi Stadium. Taylor Swift will also become an honorary mayor of Swifty Clara for those two days. Santa Clara is just the latest city in the country to honor Taylor in this way. Nice to meet you. 
And that's the California Report for Wednesday, July 19th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Turning now to local news, a fire ignited in southern Nevada County early this afternoon. The fire, named the Pond Incident, began when a structure fire spread into the surrounding vegetation. By 2.45, evacuations were ordered for the areas around Bluegill Place and Tom Ray Drive. Two air tankers, two helicopters, and an engine crew managed to stop forward progress minutes before 3 p.m. As of this afternoon, all evacuations were lifted and the fire, holding at two acres, was listed on ubinet.com as 50% contained. According to the Union of Grass Valley, trees near an elementary school may need to be removed in Nevada City. The Nevada City School District is requesting removal of 53 hazardous trees near Deer Creek Elementary School in Nevada City. Nevada City's Planning Commission will consider an arborist report the criteria for removal, and possible mitigations for the removal at Thursday's Planning Commission meeting. The trees, a mix of black oak and ponderosa pine trees, were identified for tree removal after certified arborists and tree risk assessors determined that they constitute a fire hazard and endanger people or property. According to the arborist report, the fall distance of hazardous trees near the school and other targets could cause personal injury property damage, or a disruption of activities. In other news, California State Parks announced today in a release that the annual Miners Picnic will take place this year on Saturday, August 26th at Empire Mines State Historic Park. The event will feature live music and other performances, much like the original Miners Picnics that began over a century ago. The first of such picnics began in 1895 as a benefit for the families of deceased miners, and it'll also feature historic children's games, hard rock mining activities for visitors to try, and all park docents will be dressed in period-correct attire to demonstrate mining equipment. The mine owner's mansion and clubhouse will also be open for viewing for the duration of the event. You can learn more by visiting parks.ca.gov and searching for Empire Mine State Historic Park. Turning now to look at the regional weather forecast from the National Weather Service, the National Weather Service is warning that most of our listening area will be under a major heat risk beginning Friday, July 21st, and that'll go through Saturday, July 22nd. A major heat risk means that the level of heat expected will affect anyone without effective cooling or adequate hydration. People are advised to consider canceling outdoor activities during these heat days and to stay hydrated and out of the heat as much as possible. Looking now at temperatures in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight clear with a low around 64. Thursday, sunny and hot with a high near 96. Thursday night will be clear and the low will be around 67 degrees. For Truckee and the Lake Tahoe region, tonight expect clear skies with a low around 46 Thursday, sunny with a high near 87, and Thursday night will be clear with a low around 49 degrees. For our listeners in Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight clear skies with a low around 58. Thursday will be sunny and hot with a high near 102 degrees. 
Thursday night in Sacramento will be clear with a low around 64. Currently, there are no red flag warnings or fire weather watches in our listening area. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Temperatures continue to soar to record highs, and many local waterways continue to be cold and risky. What options do Nevada County residents have to escape the heat? KVMR's Felton Pruitt spoke with Don Zidonis, Nevada City Parks and Recreation Manager, about how you can visit the Pioneer Park Pool to cool off safely. We're talking with Dawn Zidonis. She's the Park and Recs Manager for Nevada City, and we wanted to talk about how to stay cool We've got a wonderful swimming pool over at Pioneer Park. Why don't you tell folks all about that? Yeah, so we've got public swim time seven days a week, Tuesday through Sunday from noon to 4 p.m. That's the time for all ages. Um, Anyone can come swim during that time. And then on Mondays, we mix it up a little bit, and we've got time in the evening from 3.30 to 7.30. So those people who work during the day have some time in the evening to come swim. So that's our public swim hours. Those hours will go through August 13th. And then, you know, some of the schools are back in session at that point. So our hours will change after that. But we also have adult time. So we have water exercise classes. And we have those on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. We have a morning class at 1015 and an evening class at 630. And if you just want to swim some laps, we have adult lap swim times, and the morning time is 9 o'clock, the evening time is 6.30, and that is also just Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Have you noticed an increase in the amount of people coming to go and cool off at the pool? Since it got hotter this last week? Yeah, I think we saw a little bit of an increase, but not incredible. People have other places to cool off as well, the lakes and the rivers and that, but we have public bathrooms and a snack bar and lifeguards on duty. So it's a nice place to come cool off. It's a wonderful place over there. You can go swimming and then you can go take a walk in the park and maybe take the kids over to the playground and then go take another swim. Yeah, we try not to let people in and out because those kids go out on the playground and bring all the sand back in. But, But yeah, definitely they can enjoy other things while they're at the park as well. We do still have a few private rentals available. Um, Those are, we offer those on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday evenings, and so someone can rent the pool, and then we have lifeguards on duty, and it's just open for you and your guests. So if they're interested in that, they could call the swimming pool to get more information. So Dawn, give us the phone number if people want to call the uh, swimming pool over there at Pioneer Park. It is 530-265-8223. And the website, too, has all the information on this. Yeah, nevadacityca.gov, and there's a blue button that says Summer Program. So if they click there, they should be able to navigate and find some information. Well, thanks a lot. I mean, I know it's going to be very hot this coming weekend and probably every weekend for the next month or two. It's great to know we have a wonderful swimming pool over there at Pioneer Park. Yep, our guards are ready. We've been talking with Don Zizonis. She's the Park and Rec's manager for Nevada City. Stay cool. Yep, have a great day. In a recent issue of the American Journal of Medicine, Dr. Armin Aladini 
professor of medicine at Columbia University, published a paper criticizing what he and his co-authors see as exaggerated claims that medical researchers sometimes make about their work. Coming up next, we'll listen to a conversation that Al Stoller had with Dr. Aladini to learn what may be driving that trend. One of the first things you learn if you're studying science is to be skeptical about your own thoughts, about your own work. Scientists are often trained to be very skeptical about what they find. Good scientists, when they find something that's very exciting, they spend a long time really trying to prove themselves wrong. It's only after doing several other types of experiments that they may come to a conclusion and decide whether their hypothesis is right or wrong. When we write these findings in the form of publications, research papers, we try to obviously present this in the most exciting way. We're also very careful about what we say in those research papers. We're very careful not to go beyond what the data present. More recently, I think this balance between a presentation that is compelling on the one hand and avoidance hyperbole, I think, may be shifting. And this is something that myself and my co-authors, Gary Worms and Mary Heinricher, have been really grappling with, where we see a large number of research papers where they are making claims going well beyond what the research data actually actually show. It's something that's been frustrating to many of us as scientists, but I think it's something that is probably increasing in prevalence. What is driving that? Research papers apart from their obvious value as ways to communicate the research findings. Research papers are also a way to demonstrate how much work you're doing. We also use these research papers to determine the quality of a researcher's work. These research papers play a great role in determining whether a scientist, for example, at a university can be promoted to to a higher rank. They're also used quite a bit in determining whether a researcher should be funded. Because of these factors, there is incentive to make these research papers as exciting as possible in the way they express their findings. And I think these factors are really driving this shift where the studies are overstating their findings. They are competing to publish their work in the most prestigious of journals. And generally speaking, universities, especially the top universities, determine the quality of their researchers' work in the form of where they publish these research findings. What journals? The top journals are extremely hard to get into. And what's that doing? It's making it extremely difficult, extremely competitive. Scientists are trying to basically satisfy what these journals really want, which is something that is something that's very, very novel, paradigm shifting, something that's transformative. Define transformative. Transformative is something that changes, for example, the way we practice medicine changes the way we think about a disease process, changes the way we diagnose a disease. These are transformative. These are breakthroughs. The title of your commentary, Bloated Claims in Biomedical Research Publications, subtitle, Implications for Science and Society. You're really saying that people are exaggerating. Yeah, a peer review 
research papers, manuscripts for many journals. I also review grants for many governmental, federal, and non-governmental organizations. And increasingly, what I see are claims that are not supported by the data. And this is obviously very concerning. Actually, it's even dangerous for public health. It can have negative consequences for scientists because it can mislead them. There is even more at stake for doctors and patients. Beyond that, I think it's even even more dangerous because these perceived discrepancies between such widely publicized bloated claims and the actual data, I think, contributes to this increased weakening of public trust in science and scientists in general. In my humble opinion, this concern should extend to all the sciences. Absolutely, absolutely. But I'm a biomedical scientist, so I try to stick to what I know and what I see. But you are absolutely right. This applies everywhere. Armin, thank you very much. It's been very good talking with you. Thank you, Alf. My pleasure. I'm speaking with Dr. Armin Aladini, professor of medicine at Columbia University. For KVMR, I'm Al Stoller. And that's our newscast for this evening, Wednesday, July 19th, 2023. You can listen to it again or any of our past newscasts and features on our website, kvmr.org, or subscribe to the KVMR News Podcast to have it delivered directly to your device. KVMR gets support from listeners just like you and from Prosperity Lanes, offering 18 lanes of solar-powered air-conditioned bowling with group accommodations, blacklight bowling, special needs accessibility, and league bowling. Shirley's Grill serves salads, soups, breakfast, burgers, and beer. Open daily, prosperitylanes.com. And the Miner's Foundry presenting the 27th annual Jerry Bash, a festival celebrating the Grateful Dead, featuring the Deadbeats, food, art, and vendors. August 5th, 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. at Pioneer Park. VIP tickets are available. Families welcome. Minersfoundry.org. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. Thanks as always for listening. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Have a great night. Stay cool, stay safe, and join us right here for another edition of the KVMR Evening News tomorrow at 6 p.m.